Welcome to Meet the Creators, a podcast dedicated to the art of business and the business of art. Tune in to better understand the value of creative minds in marketing and business as we build the bridge between business and creative artists. Here we are, San Francisco, California, right here on Mission Street. My name is Lorenzo from Flipbird Films, a co-founder, cinematographer, and all-out creative. Right now, I'm here with Gina, my good friend who I've known for a very long time. Hella long. She's an artiste, a creator, a businesswoman, a leader, and many things. And right now, we're here to talk about her experience in life, in the business, and what it was like to start... Make it Mariko. Yeah. <laughs> Did I pronounce yeah, I that right? Mariko. Make it Mariko. Close. That's good. Okay. I'm not going to try again because I might butcher it. It's all good. Um, We're but here. We're out here. Gina, <laughs> tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started. My name's Gina. Gina Mariko. My company is called Make It Mariko, named after me. Um, right, Filipino right. and Japanese. Hey. A lot of people don't know that. I'm Japanese and proud and Filipino and proud. Um... I run a bunch of companies, I guess. I really talk about myself as like, these days I explain myself as an experienced designer. I do events, I plan events, that's how people know me. But the way that my work has evolved over the years, like it's really more about experiences. So my main company is Make It Mariko. We're an experiential events agency led by women of color. And our whole thing is about creating magical, meaningful moments for the community. That's awesome. Can you tell me how you got started in that craft that you're doing now? How were, you, how were you drawn to it? What's the evolution of that? You know what's hella funny, actually? I'm just remembering this now because we were saying that we went to high school like together. Yes, ma'am. My first event ever was at Sacred Heart, actually, in <laughs> high school. So I used to be on this dance team at SH. They called it Step Team back then, and I was one of the co-leads. And it's a high school full of nuns and like religious folks, right? And so here we are, the step team, we're dancing to hip hop music, of course there's like cuss words, and all they hear are cuss words. But for us, it was culture. There's something deeper behind the music. So if you look behind the cuss words, then you can understand. So I wanted to create something to help educate the community about hip hop culture. So I started my first hip hop night at Sacred Heart, and I was in a dance team at that time. I invited my friends. I invited this like rapper crew to come from my friends from like Daily City. My homie George and Zaldo Kuya George did like uh, this amazing backdrop, a graffiti backdrop. And we had hella people come through and we had this amazing positive night of hip hop culture. And that was my first event. I planned it in this little notebook <laughs> myself, so. What, why, you said you wanted to kind of help the community learn about hip hop, and then yeah. you organized a whole event from that. Where did that come from? Was that just natural to you? Were you just driven to do that? <laughs> like, at the time, that's such a good question. I honestly don't know where it first came from, Like, but I've like grown up going to events, you know? And people tell me all the time, like, where does your initial like inspiration come from? And like part of it, too, is just like, my family parties. Hey, there it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, as a Filipino, Filipino Japanese American, I grew up going to hella family parties. And Filipino culture, especially, mm -hmm. we're hella open. Everyone's invited. Everyone, there's food for everyone. So that was kind of my first experience at like an event, what that looks like, and how all I knew is how I wanted it to feel. I wanted it to feel welcoming. 
I wanted everyone to like feel comfortable and for people to just have fun. So that's like all I knew at that time. Right. So you were able to enjoy your family parties. You took things that you loved and you turned it into a, you found out you had a passion for it and you're able to organize around it and get people involved. Um, Absolutely. How did that lead to you building Make It Mariko? So I think the evolution continued with dance. So I'm a dancer. I did hip hop choreo choreo for hella long. Later I started freestyling. I learned whacking and punking. And later on in college, I went to Berkeley and I started directing another dance company, like a professional team. It's called Funkonometry SF. If you know what that is, you're probably old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know what that is, so. (laughs) So I I became the executive director of Funkonometry SF when I was like 21 or 22 years old. I was still Mm -hmm. at Berkeley running a 501c3. (laughs) Wow. Because my homie, who is the co-founder, shout out Kawe Lin, um, passed it on to me and said to me, like, Gina, you're the only one who can take it over. And I was so in love with this company. Like, how do you say no to that? Right. So literally, once I became director, I'll re- I'm going to age myself again. I went to Barnes and Noble <laughs> and I bought a book called How to Run a Nonprofit for Dummies. Wow. And I read it cover to cover. And that's kind of how I started to teach myself how to run a nonprofit and start producing events. Wow, okay, so <laughs> executive director, artist on creating experiential events. Yeah. Um, but what made you start your own company? What was your evolution after Funkonometry? Where did yeah, you so, and even with Funks, like, I was just doing, like, dance classes at first. Right. It was, like, community classes at WSPA, at City Dance. We did workshops, and those were big. And it actually became at a point where I was like, I want to do my own dance show. Um, because we would go to SoCal all the time mm-hmm. and watch all these huge dance shows like Body Rock, Busta Groove, Vibe. And those places were dope and the energy was dope. But for us coming from the Bay, um, we didn't really care about competing. We always came right. to showcase, right? And yeah. we just wanted to kick it and hey, have fun. That is, yeah. But everyone was so serious about competing and we weren't. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's make our own show. And the whole focus of the show will be about building community. Mm. And so we created the Sock Hop. That was our dance concept. And instead of being a one-time show competition, we did a three-day weekend. And the main focus was like, bring all these dancers together from around the country and participate in an entire weekend of events so that we could like bond, we could play games, we could meet each other and we could build. And yeah, we're gonna fucking dance too, but it's really more about us building. Building, bonding, creating. Absolutely. Meeting each other, so like creating that community. And so that show, when we launched it, we were able to get the Regency Ballroom. So if you know, (laughs) if you're from the Bay, San Francisco, you know Regency, it's a big ass venue. I went to my first rave there. That's something else, though. (laughs) But like that was my first big show, Regency Ballroom. And I'll never forget when I was there and I had my headset on, I had my clipboard and I was doing the pre-event meeting with all security Mm -hmm. and legit, it was like these six foot tall, big ass dudes. And then me, this tiny little Filipino with a clipboard. And I was like, what's up? I'm in charge, I'm the boss, this is my show. And here's what's going down. And I had to really like, I was scared as fuck, but I had to step into my like, big girl shoes and like command and lead 
this group and gain respect. And that was kind of like, I had to learn it out of, I was just forced to, like there was no other way. Like if I'm not gonna lead this, then who is, you know? Right. So after Funkonometry, what was next? Yeah, so Funks got me into the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. So after Funks, I actually went to work at another nonprofit, started doing events with uh, youth arts education stuff. Okay. And that got me to then get a job at Google. Right, okay. So I started working at Google. I was literally working in recruiting and it was like a whatever contract, but then I moved up and moved up and moved up. I actually ended up staying at Google for seven years. Wow. I thought I was just gonna like get my money and peace out, but I ended mm -hmm. up loving the jobs I was in and that's how I went deeper into events. So I started doing corporate events, started doing holiday parties for my company. I started doing uh, press events cause I worked on the self-driving car team Right. So that shit was crazy. So I was doing press events, marketing events. I was like getting to meet, like work with Sergey Brin, the CEO of Google and like all these big wigs. And that's how I really like got my chops in and learned like how to do this at a high level. Well, you just kept elevating from high school to <laughs> your, from funks, like you were saying, to yeah. another nonprofit, to the corporate world. We were able to make a lot of money. What was it like? going through all those different levels and what did you learn at each stage of them you think i every every step that i went i learned something amazing mm -hmm. and how to curate for different kinds of audiences because in the nonprofit world we're catering to like youth and creatives and teachers mm -hmm. and community supporters and at google we're catering to this whole other audience so i learned how to speak the language of different spaces and so while i was at google i actually um tragedy kind of struck my family and I lost one of my first cousins to suicide and that really was the catalyst in my life that like shook up my shit and my family stuff so hard and it shook me into this place that I didn't know I was feeling mm -hmm. and this is at the time when like you know all the google buses were like rampant in the city and people weren't yeah. happy about it mm -hmm. And I would literally stand on the street waiting for the Google bus in San Francisco yeah. and cars would drive by. And I remember thinking, I wonder if they're looking at me, thinking something about me. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I would think, Don't, I'm not one of them. Mm. Like I was feeling like I'm a city girl, yeah. but here I am getting on the Google bus like I was some kind of traitor. Right, yeah. But I was just going to a job, you know, I was working my job. So it got to the point when I lost my cousin, I was like, I, I don't think this life is fitting me anymore. I don't identify with this life. I'm mm -hmm. feeling at odds with myself and I need to feel like more in my skin every day, not just on the weekends and after work Right. when I would go to dance parties and blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. So that's when that was the catalyst um, of really wanting to stay, start Make It Mariko because I was like, I can do this. Let me try to do it on my own. And so that's when I went part time at Google to start the company. So mm. I still had one foot in, one foot out for at least two years. I mean, that's really smart. And that also <laughs> takes a lot. Of, that's really smart. You, you didn't go all in right away, but you had a plan you set out. And to do what you did to make a plan to step away from a corporate, you know, stable, cush job um, takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Um, it was scary. It was hella scary. And I highly encourage anyone who's thinking about it to take take the steps that feel good to you. That whole um, narrative of like, I'm quitting, F all of you. <laughs> like, that's not really probably real for most people. Right, it's no. more of a graceful exit, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. But for me, it was slow and it felt good that way. Yeah. Because when I went part-time, that's when I launched Undiscovered. 
And when that started popping off and I was like, it felt right. It was like, okay, I think I'm ready now. Like this is, this is something I need to dedicate more time here. And that's when I went full time with it after two years. Tell me about your experience of undiscovered. Cause that shit was popping yeah. that you got that, you got that shit lit and you know, just seeing all of the vendors and everyone there and seeing it happen on a you know consistent basis. What was it like to one, start that organize yeah. that and then see it take a life of its own? Yeah. So this was 2016 mm -hmm. uh, when we started concepting it. And basically what happened is my friend Desi, who I knew from Polang Lounge days, this episode is going to be like throwback, throwback San Francisco. So I knew Desi from Polang and I saw him put out a call for Filipino entrepreneurs to come to a meetup. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh shit, that's me now. <laughs> that is you. Because I, I didn't identify as <laughs> right, an entrepreneur. Right. Uh -huh. um, and I was like, I guess that's me now. I'll go. I want to go to the meetup. And he was like, I'm going to tell everyone about Soma Pilipinas, the Filipino Cultural Heritage District. And I was like, what the hell is that? So I literally went to this meeting and Desi did one of his infamous PowerPoint presentations. Mm -hmm. And he was like giving us the vision um, and explaining to us that Soma Pilipinas exists, which by the way, we're here live in Soma Pilipinas, which is the San Francisco Filipino Cultural District. And then his vision was like, I want to create space and develop space for Filipino entrepreneurs in the district. It's beautiful. And because there were other people already working on youth, seniors, housing, um, nonprofits, like everyone, there was space for everyone, but entrepreneurs weren't yet. So that was Desi's place. And I heard the vision and I said to myself, like, this is so dope that this exists. More people need to know that this exists so that they can feel that pride in being Filipino too. And so I just had this idea, this light bulb moment in the meeting, like, you know, I just started my event planning company. Mm -hmm. What if we partner and I'll help you throw a launch party? Right, right. Let's launch it big. I know it's already existed for a year legally, but who cares? Like, let's do a big launch party, put it out there and let the entire Bay Area know that this exists. Yeah, yeah. So that was the initial idea. But of course, marketing, uh, Desi's in marketing and mm. I'm in event, creative events. So we started brainstorming and we're like, all right, well, it can't just be a party. It's got to be dope. Yeah. What's like the, you know, hype of like Philippines and Asia? What's that energy? And we're like night markets. Yeah, it is. Night markets is the vibe. It's like that underground, creative, like grassroots hustle energy. So we decided to make it a night market. We named it Undiscovered SF because it was all about uncovering the hidden talent. And we purposely called it something not specifically Filipino because mm -hmm. we knew that it was going to be Filipino. Right. We didn't need to put it in a name. Mm -hmm. We wanted everyone to come to the event. Yeah. And that's how it launched. And instead of doing one, Desi actually ended up getting enough funding to do six. Right. Which so is we awesome. did a monthly night market that first year. And you're right. The first event was wild. We had like 10,000 people. And I'll never forget when somebody walked over I was like busy setting up in the mint building, which is literally right across the street. Right. Yep. And somebody goes, um, Gina, what are we going to do about the line? And I was what? like, what line? <laughs> I'm in here setting up signs. I opened the front door and there was just this like giant mass of people. Ooh. And I was like, holy shit, Desi, how many tickets did you put on the website? <laughs> he goes, uh, just like 5,000. 5,000? And I was like, bro, we can only fit 1,200 in oh. here at once. 
but we honestly didn't expect that many people to come. Oh, wow. Like, I was like, if if 5,000 people come the whole day, I'll be I'll be happy. Yeah. But people rolled out hard. They came from like Stockton, from like Vallejo, and it was just wild. So it's the power of the people, power of community, right there. It is. I guess we're better at marketing than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what an amazing like first step in you know in that. What what does it take to create an event, an experiential event? Can you can you walk me through that? Like. Ooh. Because people don't know what goes on in the yeah. uh, behind the scenes. So you know, okay. So the first, I actually teach a class on this called um, mm. planning events with purpose. Because the first thing that people think when they're trying to plan an event is they go straight to like, well, what's going to be there? Mm. They go straight to the what? Like, okay, we're going to have a DJ and we're going to have food trucks and we're going to have this music and this speech. Like they go straight to the what? But for me, the first thing has always got to be the why. Okay. So because people just say, like, I want to plan an event and I want there to be a DJ. Oh, cool. Why? Well, because I like music. Well, what else? You know, so you got to dig deeper. Like, well, what's the bigger thing that you're really trying to accomplish with this event? Mm -hmm. What are your goals? Mm -hmm. So for like Undiscovered, we didn't just want to throw a market. We were trying to uncover San Francisco's hidden talent. Mm -hmm. We wanted to create a space for people to feel proud of being Filipino. We wanted to show people that the city's popping, that there's so much creative energy here, not even still here, we've been here. So there's always like a deeper, 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 deeper goal. And so I always say, you gotta focus on that. And then once you have the why, then you can build the what. But if the what is not connected to a why, then you have to be ready to like even just toss it out. Because sometimes people go through creative process and they get stuck on one thing. Hell yeah, they do. And they're like, but I have to have this thing. Yeah. Because that was my initial vision. But it's like, but if that thing is no longer feeding your goal, why are you doing it? Yeah. You know? So, like, coming back to that purpose is some one of the most important things for event planning. And that's even, you know, you got to ask yourself tough questions to find that, right? And when you do find it, and you were able to execute it, it comes out in all of the little things, the details of the yes. event that people know that people notice. So um, yes. I love the I love the mindset. You can apply that, I feel like, to a lot of different art forms. Absolutely. Like there's nuance. Exactly. And if you're creative or an artist, like you notice those little things, those little nuanced things, and you're like, Thank you for seeing that. Right. <laughs> you're like, I put time and a lot of thought into that. What is what kind of feeling does that give you when you see someone noticing one of those details at your events or people having fun how does that make you feel dude it's like the biggest joy it's the biggest joy ever and you know that first undiscovered i didn't even really get to enjoy it like even that first couple years i'll be honest like the first couple years because now we're going on season seven wow yeah. it's wild yeah that's wild the first couple years it was a struggle like i'll be honest um the fact that it even happened was a miracle mm -hmm. that first event i'll never forget i was Everyone was having an amazing time, listening to lyrics born and dancing. And I was outside like cleaning trash hey, and you. like uh, washing the ground. Um, at the end of the event, my whole family came. Oh. They were helping me pick up trash. Oh, that's beautiful. At the end of the night. Yeah. And then you literally, I just like got in the car at 3 a.m. at the end of the night and just cried. Oh. <laughs> like, that's the reality of of like birthing an idea into the world, right? And then now that we're in season seven, we get better, we get better, we get better. We advocate for ourselves more. I have more staff. 
Um, you know, so my goal, my whole goal last year at the end of Undiscovered was like no crying <laughs> or only if it's tears of joy yeah, yeah. and also that I wouldn't be at the event al at the event alone mm. at the end and so it's like hey you advocate for yourself and you get better and it was the best the best one yet you know it's beautiful you being able to involve the people around you even your family and you know in in your accomplishments right mm. so it's not your accomplishments alone but it goes back to the idea of community mm. um, I want to go back to this idea of your approach to event planning you know mm. defining the what what are you actually trying to do do you did you take that same approach when you were making your business that's a great question <laughs> yeah definitely absolutely and i think that's why i mean just even the fact that the company was born out of tragedy out of loss out of death mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I do this talk where I basically talk about how death brought me to life. Wow. Like losing somebody so tr in a, such a tragic way is actually what like slapped me in the face and woke me up and said, Gina, like create your life. Wow. Is this the life that you want? Like mm -hmm. wake the fuck up. You could be dead tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So because of that, everything in making Marco is like rooted in an appreciation of life. Mm -hmm. So I tell people like my personal mission, mm -hmm. Um, in life, it's so connected to the magical, meaningful moments is because like my goal is always to create spaces that remind people of like the beauty and interconnectedness of life. It's lovely. We're never alone. Mm. And events are so beautiful because we get to bring people together with a shared purpose and a shared goal of like showing each other that we're not alone and that we have so many commonalities with each other. So those are the things that I always want to create. That is awesome. You're talking about an appreciation of life and how that's ingrained into your company. Um, can you talk to me about the values that you've founded the company on and how that, I guess, kind of shines through your execution and how you approach the business? Yeah, totally. So one of our, one of our first values is experience first. Mm -hmm. And we like to kind of explain that by saying people over Pinterest photos. What does that mean? <laughs> so like Pinterest, right? It's kind of like an angel and a devil because it's so beautiful. You get all this inspiration mm -hmm. of like visual things, right. but it's also a devil in the sense that like people get stuck on that and they're like, oh, my shit has to look like that Pinterest thing. Otherwise it's not worthwhile or it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's all about the experience. Mm -hmm. Like at Make It Mariko, we're always going to design beautiful things, beautiful mm -hmm. aesthetics. But if people aren't feeling something and if we're not getting into some like deeper kind of like emotional space mm -hmm. other than just like I'm here, then to me, that's not I'm not accomplishing my goals. Mm. Like I want people to feel something when they come to an event. I, I want it. them to be touched by the music, the movement, the people to dance, to cry and laugh and maybe all at the same event. <laughs> to me, if all those things happen in one event, I'm like success. Great. Beautiful. Because that means like people are like digging into something that maybe even they were hiding um, or they're just connecting with people in a really amazing way that they weren't able to at home. That's inspiring. Um, so people first, uh, people not Pinterest. What <laughs> other values do you have for your company? Always from day one, Making Marco has always been about hiring local and hiring POC. So hiring people of color as much as possible and hiring local folks. Why was that important to you? You know, especially when I was at Google, they do an amazing job. Like they're freaking Google. Mm -hmm. But it, as a dancer and I'm married to a DJ, 
music is so important to me. So one of the first things that would literally break my heart is going to these huge conferences, corporate events, and seeing whack ass DJs. <laughs> I'm like, even one event I produced for this huge corporate company, I'm not gonna name their names, but they are a huge music focused company, uh -huh. black owned, DJ focused, and we're literally produ producing their happy hour at an event. And they hired this DJ who was using like auto mixing software. <laughs> and RJ, who's one of my main partners, we are sitting behind the booth and watching him. And even I'm not an AV person, but I know what DJing looks like. Yeah. And I was like, RJ, why is he wearing headphones? Because like, he's mixing that and he yeah. goes he's faking it <laughs> because there's literally nothing to hear you're not mixing the software was mixing for him so he was literally faking it and I was just disgusted so for me it's like when I lift up creatives especially for these high-paying gigs mm -hmm. I want to put money in local folks pockets right. who are actually contributing to creative culture and aren't just becoming a DJ for weddings or like big gigs, mm -hmm. you know? So if I'm doing an event in San Francisco, I wanna hire San Francisco folks. I wanna put money in our economy and I wanna lift up the best of the best. So when I would plan Google parties, I would bring DJ Umami, I'd bring Shortcut, I'd bring like my homies. So these are like not just event DJs, these are like world renowned scratch artists yeah they are you know yes, so sir. i'm like y'all need to be honored to have shortcut here right now you know what do you think the importance is of having authentic artists and like people of color in an event do you think people can really feel that do you think it shines through i think that if you don't if you don't know an art form and you don't know any better then it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. But I think part of what the beauty of events is, is introducing people there it is. Yep. to something new. And if you're gonna be introduced to a DJ for the first time, I wanna give you the best DJ. And I want you to see them and watch their craft and see how they make this, this audience move. Cause it's very different, you can tell. And so I wanna expose you to something different and if I'm gonna lift up an art form, I wanna only give you the best of the best and someone that represents that art form appropriately. Damn, that gave me goosebumps right there. <laughs> I mean, no, that's real. Like having a fake DJ versus like a world-renowned DJ, you're talking about Shortcut and Umami, they yeah. can rock a they can, they can rock a house, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. for someone to experience that for the first time and give an appreciation for a new art form is, you know, it's amazing and inspiring. And that's how you grow a culture and yes. you know, educate people. About and that. that's how we help support amazing creatives at continuing to create their craft. If we're putting money in their pockets that they can then focus on their art form as opposed to having to have so many gigs to just yeah. make it, that's just uplifting the craft even more. You know, that brings up a good point. Um, what was it like for you having a passion for this art form of creating experiences for people and then trying to turn it into a business? It's a struggle. I mean, like any small business or entrepreneur will be like, it's hella hard to get started, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know, like literally, I remember putting together my first proposal for Maggie Mariko and I was like, 
how much should I charge? Yeah. You know, like I didn't know people in the industry like that. And even oh, yeah. if I did, they're not going to share with me. Mm -hmm. Like, who am I, you know? So I didn't know what agencies were really charging. Actually, I did kind of. I would see the agencies we'd hire mm -hmm. at Google, and I was like, oh, okay, I see you. I kind of see how you're doing this and that. Mm -hmm. But I literally like, threw out a number. I was like, hmm, 10,000 sounds like a lot. I'll charge that. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of money. It does, it does. So, but even now, I'm like, okay, well, now that my company has grown, that's not actually a lot of money. <laughs> but at the time, you just start somewhere, and... Uh, I actually started planning weddings at first, mm -hmm. weddings and nonprofit events, and I just learned from there. And then I started like making friends. I met like one other Filipina event planner, and we became close friends. Mm -hmm. Then we can like talk with each other and actually like ask questions. But definitely like charging was a huge thing, even undiscovered. Like I didn't know what to ask for. Yeah. I was a, like Desi and I were co-producing this and I was just so thankful for the opportunity to make it happen, but I didn't know how to advocate for myself. Yeah. I didn't know to have conversations about copyright, about um, ownership, about mailing lists, mm -hmm. emails, and who was gonna own what. I was just trying to make it happen. Right, right. But now that I'm more seasoned and into this, like I know how to advocate for myself and I'm constantly learning how to value myself, you know, and yeah. get out there and network and meet other people. So I know. And to be honest, like I've met and seen other like white owned agencies mm -hmm. basically charge triple. Yeah. What I charge and they get gigs. Yeah. And it's crazy. I want to break that down your answer a little bit, because there's so much in there that I feel is important for other artists to hear and even and even business people. Um, can you tell me about what your journey was like? in learning how to get comfortable talking about money, willing to be advoc advocate for yourself, and um, I guess kind of execute and kind of see where you fall. I mean, like, honestly, first off, like, we have to get comfortable talking about money. Mm. Like, you're going into business for a reason. Because you have a passion, you want to do it, yes. But we want to make money so that this can be our main thing. We don't have to have side hustles, right? Yep. Unless you're not into it, then start a charity. Start a nonprofit. Be honest with yourself. And maybe that's right. I actually tell a lot of people that, like, are you actually trying to start a charity or are you trying to start a business to make money? Yeah. Well, let's decide on that first so yeah. we're, like, on the right page. Yeah. We have to start getting comfortable talking about money, and we have to really just value what we do. Because I think, like, so much of, like, it comes naturally to us, or maybe we're so passionate about it that there's this language out there that, if you're passionate about something, then you shouldn't charge for that yeah. or it makes it feel cheap or something. Yeah. Well, we really just need to get over that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's nothing, there, there's no simple answer of like, we should, we're good at it. And I charge this rate because I'm good at it. Yeah. And I don't care if it takes me only an hour to do it, whereas it takes you 20. Mm -hmm. Well, I only got there because I've worked really hard to get really good at doing yeah, it, it is, in yeah. an hour. So I'm making up for all those lost hours that I spent not getting paid for this, right? So valuing that, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, because I also run a few other communities, like I do run a nonprofit, it's called Pinaista, and it's a community for Filipino women entrepreneurs and creatives. What kind of service or message am I sending to that audience if I can't value myself mm. and I don't lift up like what I'm worth, what kind of message is that sending to all these other entrepreneurs who are just starting that we have to live in scarcity and survival mentality? Mm -hmm. Like I'm 
hella over scarcity mode. And the way that we get out of scarcity mode is like valuing our shit and standing up for our worth and really getting with values aligned people. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And you bring up a good point. Like, I definitely felt that myself just because I love what I do and I'm passionate about what I do doesn't mean we should undervalue ourselves because of it, you know, and it's a weird thing to get over. Actually, it is. <laughs> it's hella hard. It's not easy. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, it's hella easy. Just get over it. Like, it takes a lot of inner work. Actually, <laughs> like I go to therapy like every two weeks and I process this a lot. Like I process like why am I so afraid of losing money? Mm. What am I so, like, I'm so afraid, like, what happens if I lose money? Or what happens if this, if that? When it's like, I actually know I'm doing a really good job saving. Like, if something happened, I know I'd be taken care of. So what am I so afraid of? And it's really like, you got to do inner work to, like, get past that. How important is the inner work in, in... I guess, elevating your art and your business. Why is that such an important part, do you think? Oh my gosh, like, okay, this like amazing coach, this other Pinai coach, her name's Jen Kem, she says this thing about business where it's like, as a founder, you are the like hero of your business mm. and you're also the villain. Mm. <laughs> like we are the idea makers, we're the visionizers, we come up with things and then our team helps execute, but then we also get in our own way Yes. so yeah. much of the time because if we're running it, then we're like nervous about, well, will someone pay that or whatever? So it's about like kind of getting out of your own way sometimes and maybe like even recognizing your skills and your pitfalls and recognizing that you can't do everything. So the things that I'm not really good at, I've hired other people. <laughs> That's a good strategy. I've hired other people who love those things mm. and thrive at those things to help keep me in check so that I can't undermine the group mm. and our goals. And sometimes that's what it takes to get out of your own way. Yeah. Was it hard for you to let go of some of those responsibilities at first? And it's hella hard. <laughs> I'm still learning, but um, I learned the hard way, I guess. Um, by like having a fat burnout. Oh, okay. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, and this is how it is sometimes. Like, I think people just have to learn by doing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. That's and the best creatives way to often have burnout. Yeah. So for me, my burnout came at the end of the pandemic. So we pivoted during the pandemic. We went to virtual events. We were hella successful at that, actually. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, "Damn, you're killing it!" Blah blah blah. But I was like. I'm not happy. Like this sucks. Yeah, that, yeah. I can Virtual imagine. events suck. Like, <laughs> well, they don't suck. They were beautiful when it was. That's all we had. Yeah. So I, I was really happy about being able to still create for people when we couldn't. Mm. But would I choose that now that yeah. we can come back together? Absolutely not. It's so different. No, I don't want to do that. But I burnt out. Like I was doing too much. Mm -hmm. We were trying to do so much and um, taking on so many clients to keep the business alive. Yeah. So that was the goal, right? Just keep the business alive. That's, yeah, it's something I we saw face. So many events, people's companies closing, and I was like, "Don't be that." But then it got got to us. We took on too much. I burnt out, mm -hmm. and you're trying to lead from a space of scarcity which is never good. Not good at it's all. It's not good for anyone. It's not good for you. It's not good for your team. Those aren't healthy environments. Not even good for my nonprofit. Mm -hmm. The energy I was bringing to those spaces was not positive. Mm. And so it got to a place where I was like depressed. I could barely 
eat. Like I didn't even want to eat really that much anymore. And I didn't even want to look at my email inbox. It was like depressing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to take a step back and be like, you're not cool right now. This is not okay. You got to kill yourself. And we need to stop. And it was my friends and women in Panaista who was like, Gina, you need to stop. And I was like, I don't even know how to stop. Yeah. But basically what I decided was to go on sabbatical as an entrepreneur. And that's one of the hardest things you can do is to step away from your business. And it was hella hard because basically what that means to take a break as a business owner meant I had to lay off my whole team. That's really, really tough. And it was hella hard. Um, I laid off the whole team. Even as a small business, I figured out a way to give people severance. Oh. I paid people like two months severance just because it felt like right, yeah. the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then I took three months off mm-hmm. and just tried to tried to stop. <laughs> wow. Man, I can only imagine what was what that was like for you having to stop and even lay off your staff because, you know, knowing you, I'm sure you love them just as much as they love you. So yeah. that's one of the hardest things to do. Um, yeah. But wow. So it what was your sabbatical like? So it was three months long because that's all I could afford. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it took me a whole ass month just to learn how to kind of rest mm-hmm. and find peace with that. Mm-hmm. A whole month. It's like, what do I do with myself? I don't know. I don't know what to do. Right. Um, and then I started leaning into it second month and I really prioritize being with my family, spending time with my new baby nephew who Aww. was born, mm-hmm. um, working out. Hey. Holy shit. That's medicine right there. It is. So I have these other homegirls. Uh, shout out the Chalogs team. I don't know if y'all have been to Chalogs, the restaurant. I have not been there. In no. Daly City. They serve Chalogs and all kinds of Filipino food. Right, right. It's cracking. During sabbatical, or before sabbatical, they would tell me, like, Gina, you should come join our workouts. We work out every Tuesday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. I was like, oh, that's really early. <laughs> <laughs> that is really early. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I could do that. They're like, just check it out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm on sabbatical now. I ain't got nothing better to do. Yeah. So I showed up and they work out 8.30 to like 9.30 or 9.45-ish. And then they go to work. And I was like, do you guys literally do this every day? Mm. How do you have time for this? Oh, How do you energy. run the business yeah. and do this yeah. every day? I, I, It was like unfeasible to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way I'll be able to do this when I go back to work. Because mm-hmm. I used to be a slave to my inbox you know yeah yeah but I did like I started working with them during sabbatical and afterwards I literally just I came back to the work and I put a hold on my calendar 8 30 to 10 mm-hmm. every morning workout and I even put into my contract uh, that meetings would only take place between 10 30 and 6 mm. As Make It Mariko as a company. I love that. That's awesome. We Absolutely. Gotta, we got to start doing that. <laughs> it's in the contract. And then I put meetings before after these times will incur additional fees. Ooh, okay. Because if you're going to make me miss my workout, my energy is going to be off. So you're going to pay me more for that because hey. I am not a morning person. So. Hey, note that. Let's put that in our social media because peop- more people need to do that. Take care of yourself so you can take care of other people. And boundaries, boundaries. Yeah. So it was like this cheesy, cheesy statement. But like, you know, on the airplane, they say, put your oxygen mask on before helping others. Yeah. It's hella real yeah. as a business owner because we're always prioritizing the business and our people 
first. Always, yep. And then we just do whatever needs to happen to make that happen. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, if you're not cool, then your business isn't cool and your people aren't going to be cool. And if anything, you're like spreading toxicity to them. So you got to get right with yourself if you even want to try to accomplish any of those big visions you have for others. Right. I mean, I even love the idea that you surprised yourself by doing something you couldn't <laughs> think you could do, but what, why do you think, what do you think allowed you to push past that and mm. turn it into a routine and now provide so much importance to it that yeah. you're putting in your contract that you can't have meetings during that time? What, was, what was it about working out that did that for you? I think it's just about changing narratives about yourself. I had created this narrative in my head about what it meant to be the entrepreneur, founder, owner of a business. What was that? And that was like, I have to just be working. Like, I have to hustle. I got to grind. I have to work. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And I'm not going to reach this goal. But then when I finally took a step back to rest and reflect and like think about, well, what is really my goal for my life? Mm -hmm. How do I want to feel every day? What kind of energy do I want to put into the world every day? Now, how do I build a business that is centered around that? Ooh. So it becomes not even about what do I want to, what's the product I want to sell, what customers I want, what clients I want. It became about how do I want to feel every day? Mm. And how do I design a business that makes that happen? And wow. that's really the goal. That's, that's awesome. Um, that's beautiful. How do you feel like you're doing at that now? <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Report card check. Um, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. That's great. I feel actually really proud of myself at like where I'm at now versus like where I was at a year and a half ago. I feel it's not perfect, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely catching myself. Mm -hmm. I catch myself like slipping into old patterns or hearing those same narratives in my head. Yeah. And I'll catch myself and be like, I'll just be like, fuck that. Can't, can't slip <laughs> back honest, into it. Yeah, like can't slip back into it. I hear it and it's okay. Like I recognize like, um, I read this in a book. I forgot which book, but they do it as a, use a car as like a imagery. Mm -hmm. So you're in the car, your life is the car. And there's always a part of you, one of you that's driving. But sometimes there's this voice that's like, you're not going to make enough money mm. or you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's fear. Mm -hmm. So then like see fear as a passenger in your car, mm. but they're in the backseat. Mm. Not the driver. They're not driving, no. but they're there. It's like, I hear you. I see you. Thank you. Just chill back there. Mm. Like be cool. <laughs> it's it. not your turn, but I hear you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because you can't completely get rid of fear, but you can learn how to interact with it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love the way you said that. You can learn how to interact with it. You can learn how to engage with it mm -hmm. in a healthy way. Yeah. And you can also see that they matter. They're yeah. important. They're keeping you safe. They're looking out for you. Yeah. It's like that movie. Uh, what's that movie with all the emotions? Inside Out? Inside Out, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's like the same. Like, oh, there's all these little Gina's up here <laughs> fighting to take control at any given time. But then when you realize like, you're the one controlling who gets to be in control, right, then yeah. you're just like, all right, cool. How do I like gamify my life now? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's so important. You to allow space to be scared but not let it control you. That's yeah. so, that's so important. You can't you can't ignore it. Um, so I'm good at that now. Like, I'll I'll there'll still be a piece of me that's like, I gotta get this proposal out. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, 
why? Yeah, like, <laughs> like, they want to hire me and I'm tired right now. So I don't really want to work on that right now because I need to eat dinner with my family. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, this is this is important to me. and That's OK. But the past Gina would have been like, babe, I can't eat yet. I got to finish this. Mm, I catch myself doing but that. But new Gina's like, no, nah, let me have dinner with my family. Mm -hmm. And then if I have energy after that, I might work on it. So I also don't shame myself for doing mm -hmm. things that I want to do. If I'm feeling juiced or say I'm at home, I'm like smoking weed, I'm feeling hella energized, but right. it's Saturday. Uh -huh. You also don't have to put rules on yourself like no working on the weekend. <laughs> well, it's like I feel hella juiced right now. I got an idea. I want to work. I'm going to bang out a proposal deck right now because I feel excited about it. Right. That's the other side of it, too. Right. Yeah. When you feel inspired to take advantage of those moments. Yeah. We don't have to have such hard and fast rules all the time. Like it's just go with the flow, but also look out for yourself, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so you've been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you've been through a lot. You're. You're, you wear a lot of different hats. You know, you went through sabbatical, you got burnt out, you're, you know, not making a comeback, but it's almost like you're, you're the evolution of yourself. Mm -mm. What are some of the practices that you're doing now to help create sustainability in your life? Mm. If, you, if you could list them off for me. Yeah, well, I'm still working out. I literally just went this morning. So I do that every day. Um, I eat. Like these are some yeah, basic ass shit, right? I mean, like <laughs> eat food, like when you're hungry. Yeah. And actually that's a new thing for me too. Like if I'm not hungry, then I don't need to eat. Yeah. But when I'm hungry, I should eat. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to force yourself. Um, I try really hard to prioritize my family time mm -hmm. as much as possible still. Like I wanna be with my nephew like once a week if I can and see him, see my parents. I prioritize creative time. Mm -hmm. And now as like, I'm finally only in year eight of Make It Mariko, I feel like stepping into my like CEO shoes mm. or whatever. And I'm actually trying to pull myself out of the day to day business. So I actually realized I don't need to be like event planning anymore. Mm. Um, there's hella talented event planners on our team now that can do the on the ground work. Right, right. Now I really want to focus on new ideas, new partnerships, new clients, creating new ideas, like making the business more sustainable. So mm. I want to get out of the way wow. in that part. I'm still involved in so all the events. Like yeah. I know everything that's happening with every event in the company, mm -hmm. but only on like a higher level, like strategy design space, because that's where I'm loving. Right. That's dope, though, because you're leading the business, working on higher concept stuff, but you're also bringing up other artists as well, event planners, like you said, because yes. there's so much talent out there. Um, Yes, giving opportunities, and that's what we've always wanted to do is to create more opportunities because when I came into the space and I would go to industry parties, I would like be one of the only people of color in the room. Mm. So to me, that felt really lonely, and that's why I created my own collective because mm -hmm. I just wanted to like bring my people so that I'd feel safe. Right. you know in a safe space that was fun mm -hmm. so now our whole goal has always been to bring more color into the industry right. and create more opportunities for folks so that's what we try to do all the time now and that's awesome just offering a different perspective when it comes to everything art form events media you know and that's what the world needs more more diversity absolutely yeah more voices exactly. because like so many of the same voices are at the top producing mm -hmm. like in terms of like large scale producers, I'm one of the only like, there's very few like women of color producers that could produce at like a large scale level. Like mm -hmm. before 
pandemic happened, we were chosen as the new producers of Fillmore Jazz Festival. Mm, that's dope. So we were supposed to produce that, yeah. but then the deal, like, well, COVID hit, so then we we ended up not doing oh, it. that's not dope. So, <laughs> but that's the thing, too. Like, so many huge productions that happen here in San Francisco, a lot of them are outsourced to L.A. producers. Mm, so they're not even local. They're not even local for some of the big stuff. That's whack. And to me, that's, like, whack. Yeah. Like, there's so much talent here. We could do it. But a lot of these businesses don't have the resources or the connections to, like, get that or bid for that gig. So I want to change that. I mean, you think about that, too, right? A lot of people, a lot of artists here end up leaving and going to places like L.A. or New York because they don't think it can be done here. Yep. Um, do you think that's changing? Absolutely. I don't even I don't even think that was ever true. Oh, there you go. To be honest. Like, I mean, if you want to be in certain industries, like you want to be in Hollywood, you want to be an actor. OK, mm. like, sure. OK, like, okay fine. professional <laughs> dancers. OK, you got to go there. But <laughs> I think that there's so much space here that creatives are thriving and we are like working on pushing like San Francisco to be a bigger space for creatives to come. And, I, and you think about the state that San Francisco is in it needs it now more than ever. Absolutely. We need creative change. Like when times change, when the economy changes, we need artists to reimagine what space could look like. It's always artists. It's always creatives that are pushing. It doesn't need to look like this. Let's do this instead, you know? And then, then it becomes socially acceptable, it goes mainstream, and then now everyone's adopting it. But it was, always comes from the mind of an artist. I love that. Um, I want to take a step back a little bit and kind of dig into your experience as a woman CEO of color. Yeah. <laughs> what has that experience been like? And do you have any advice to maybe any other women artists or even women that want to be a business leader to them yeah. if they're just starting out? Ooh, it's so hard because I've been disrespected so much mm. on my own events. Like I've been at weddings I've produced where like a white man like patted me on my head <laughs> and told me I was so cute. <laughs> like, thanks, bro. I'm not a child. Oh, or just like men in production talking down to me, calling me sweetie, call me sweetheart. And it's like you have to constantly stand up for yourself mm. and like, hold your ground yeah so I think it's hard and but like we can do it women can do it and it's about like finding your power in a way that feels authentic to you because you don't want to be overly like a bitch you know you don't need to do that but yeah. how do I be me how do I feel comfortable enough being me and showing up as me yeah. and also standing up to bullies yeah and holding my my ground in my space and it takes practice you know so even and in those moments, I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I'm so shocked right now. Yeah. And then you're like, if this ever happens again, this is what I'm going to say to him. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're like prepared with your comeback for next time. But I would say, like, trust your gut. Mm. And it's really hard for women, too, because sometimes other women are the main bullies. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And it's really hard when it comes from your own people, even like as women of color. Sometimes it's exactly other women of color. Why do you think it's like that? Scarcity mentality. Mm. Because we don't have access to opportunities. So uh. we think that there's maybe only one spot. And if it's going to go to you, then that means it's not going to go to me. It becomes competition. And it becomes competition. But that is all a false narrative. We're mm. creating that narrative. There's space for all of us to thrive mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if we like work together and share. So that's why we do this like women of color in events meetup and gathering every month. We're trying to get women of color and events to come and build communities so we can have 
support system because it's not a competition. We can all share work. There's enough work here for everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's hard. But like listening to your gut is always going to like be a winner because people are always going to try to convince you that this is good for you or you shouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. This is a bad idea. But you'll know in your gut if something is right or not. And I've learned to really listen to myself. And it's hard to do to trust yourself. It's hella hard. But it's something you got to do. You just got to keep doing it. And you're not going to be right every time. But I yeah. feel like you'll be right more often than not. And meditation helps me a lot. Mm. Like I meditate constantly to try to like silence those voices and figure out which one. Yeah. And I know sometimes I know because this one idea will keep like nudging me. Yeah, it just won't go away. It won't go away. And then when it won't go away, I'm like, all right, I think this is a thing. Like I keep I'm dreaming about it. When I wake up, I'm thinking about it. So that's my sign that like, all right, I think I have to lean into this. Like the universe is like sending me messages. So yeah, and, try, and try it. Why not? Right. It's all about it's all about trial and error and seeing if it works and being and leaving yes. space for failure. Yes. And that's like art, right? Like it's just trying. Yeah, exactly. And like that's how our businesses should be, too. Like we're literally we're paving the way that didn't exist mm -hmm. for people that look like us. Yeah. Or maybe we're doing something that nobody's ever done before. Yeah. So you're going to have to try. And when it doesn't work, like just, all right, what next? Keep it moving, right? Yeah. What did we learn from that? Okay, cool. Let's move on to the next. Because I think one of the things that got me in trouble is I put so much stake in some things going exactly the way that I thought they were gonna go. That never happens. And it never <laughs> does. And then when it doesn't, you feel crushed. Yeah, for And sure. because your business or your brand is so tied to your identity it as a person, is, yeah, yeah. which also is one of my pieces of advice for people is to learn how to separate yeah. the two. Don't do that. You can have pride in something and acknowledge that it's a piece of you, yeah. but it's not you, Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But if it is you, that's unhealthy, and that's when you're going to lead down that path. Because if it fails, then you failed, yeah. which is completely not logical, no, and it's not yeah. true. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been learning that myself, is learning how to separate my success versus my happiness, yes. and not how to intertwine the two. Because I can mm. still be happy and still leave room for certain failures or, un, you know, being unsuccessful, because you're not going to be successful all of the time. Yep. It's just not going to happen. And, but it does not degrade your self-worth. Yes. And realizing that is, I feel so important. So yes, like come back. I, I say this a lot. It's like, I want, I say to people like, come back to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Come back to yourself because what is you? You're just a human. Yeah. <laughs> you're just a human being. But as creatives, we just like are human beings that create dope shit. Yeah. 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 And that's exactly. awesome. But we are not our creations, you no, know, like no, yeah. we're just human beings like just walking on this earth. Yeah, <laughs> like, just trying to survive, trying to be happy, trying to create a life, trying to create a life around what makes you happy, right? Yes. And not lose yourself into something too much. Yes, yes. And get help. Like that's my biggest thing is like ask for help. Don't try to do it on your own and like don't be afraid to stop when it's getting to a point that's unsustainable. Mm. Because if you, the track the matters if you're in that deep and you're that sad and like you feel lost, then you need to probably start over right? from scratch because yeah. that's not working. So let's start over. What is working? What's not working? Let's build from there. Yeah, starting over is okay. Losing attachment to certain things will allow you to expose yourself to different ideas and not you know, yes. bog yourself down too much emotionally or physically. Absolutely. 
Um, so, you know, we talked a, l- we talked a lot um, about different things. And, you know, I do want to say one thing. I do believe the world will be a better place if we put more women of color in leadership roles. I think that's just a fact. Agreed. But, <laughs> but um, what, is, what does the future hold for you? What is mm. next? So now coming back from sabbatical, I've rehired my new full-time team. Mm-hmm. So we are five employees strong and a bunch of contractors. I just launched a new branch of our company called POC Wedding Party, which is exactly what it sounds like. Right, it's right. legit. I actually almost stopped doing weddings. It was one of the things like during my sabbatical, I realized I was like, I'm not really vibing with some of these weddings, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I realized I love weddings still because I love love you know, I love going so to much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I only wanted to do them our way. Okay. So I realized like, well, that's I'll just do that. So I launched POC Wedding Party and it's basically us and all of our friends and our homies and vendors that we trust and we already know how to work together so well. We're like family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's our vibe. It's either for you or it's not. Yeah, yeah. And like if it. it's not your vibe, then we're not for you and that's okay. Yeah, I love the confidence in that. And, you know, you don't need to try to grab every gig. Absolutely. Like uh, one of our taglines is um, hella fun, often hyphy. (laughs) 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 For weddings. Hella fun, often hyphy. If you vibe with that, then come hire us for your wedding. And that's what it's going to be like, right? So we did that. And now I'm really leaning into this space where I realize, like, I love producing events for other people. Mm-hmm. I think it's dope when I get to, like, consult them. They have, like, an idea. And then we get to bring their idea to life. Mm-hmm. I love doing that. But there's also only so much joy you can get from creating somebody else's idea. Yeah, for sure. And now I'm really in a space where I want to trust my own ideas more. Mm-hmm. And I want to mm-hmm. invest in myself and my own ideas and our team's our own ideas. Right. So we're going to start self-producing more. That's awesome. Undiscovered is one of those things. It was was born out of an idea, and me and Desi built it together. Mm-hmm. Same with this space. Um, we're here in Balai Creative. This is another program that Desi and I and another friend Kim co-founded together mm-hmm. to focus on Filipino arts and culture. Right. And I really want to invest in those ideas. I, it's scary to me because I'm used to somebody being like, here's some money, do our thing for us. Yeah. And now I'm gonna be raising the money myself, mm-hmm. selling tickets. So there's like a little bit of a you know question mark there, but it's worth it because yeah. I recognize we have hella good ideas. Yeah, yeah. And I think that people wanna see them. So right now I'm working on a new concept called POC Food and Wine Festival. Hey, okay. And I love wine. I actually um, got a wine scholarship to take classes oh, cool. during my sabbatical. Very cool. I've always been in love with wine, and I wanted to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to launch our own festival that really is about uplifting POC chefs and winemakers, people in that industry, just people who love good food, good drinks, and experiences. So we're going to launch that um, sometime early next year. That sounds like hella fun. I, I know, <laughs> right? I'm basically just like, I want to create stuff that's fun for me. I'm pretty hey. sure other people <laughs> like it too. Um, but the bigger goal that I'm working on is buying our own venue. Okay. That's yeah. Great. That's a that's a big task. It is a big task. And actually, that was one of the things I started doing in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I actually, during the pandemic, raised verbally raised $700,000 from all women of color investors. Wow. So that we could buy a 25 acre property to turn into a venue. Wow. Um, we negotiated it for like three months 
and then I ended up walking away from the deal. Wow. Because they were suggesting some terms that I was just like not down with, mm -hmm. and I had to listen to my gut. Mm -hmm. I was like, this isn't right. Yeah. It's not the. It's not it. Yeah. So I walked away, but I actually realized I had to grieve that loss. Yeah. Because I was like, doing it for over seven months. It was kind of like I was like, like birthing a baby. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have babies, but that's just like my idea, you know, you're yeah. like, and then I had to let it go. Yeah. So I had to, that was kind of part of the reason of the burnout. Right. So now that I'm in a stronger place, um, I'm still working on building a team. We're looking to next year start to raise that money again and look for a new space that we'll call our own because I'm basically tired of putting all of our money into other people's spaces <laughs> and seeing venues do things a certain way. And I'm like, I could do this. Way better. Way better. And it would be so dope in here. Yeah. And the kind of people I could bring in here to create things. So I know that's the way. So I want to like make that happen. And it's going to be more like POC focused, not just women of color. Like I want it to be a family space that everyone feels welcome. You're going to do it. It's going to be the epicenter of community and culture. It's going to yes. be awesome. I hope so. I know it's going to happen. It's just about the right timing. And I'm, I'm feeling in a space where I'm more flexible to that, too. I'm letting the universe kind of tell me when it's right, you know? Gina, thank you for sharing. <laughs> I have one last question. Okay, here um, we go. <laughs> what do you think the parallels are between art and business? But now I also want to add another layer to this. No. <laughs> what is the parallels adding to like your personal life and how, and how to make that sustainable? Do you see any similarities in process between making yourself happy, creating a successful business, and always innovating your craft? Oh my gosh. They're super aligned. They're mm. like the same. I mean, art is like all about coming up with an idea, creating it. Mm -hmm like seeing it come to life this is working this isn't working let me shift here what's the original let me take a step back oh, let me get back in there you know that's like art and creativity and even if it's like if your canvas is a canvas or if it's like a puppet like Ramon over there or if it's a laptop with a presentation deck mm -hmm. those are all different canvases that you're doing the same thing mm -hmm. right and that's like what business is too like you try something it worked cool, let's do more. Right. It didn't work. All right, let's not do that anymore. Right, right. And then you got to take a step back. What am I doing? How am I contributing? Okay, let me get back in there and try again. Mm -hmm. So you're just like constantly iterating and being in flow. Right. That's yeah. my word right now, honestly, is flow. Is like, how do we get in a flow that feels good and it's healthy and it's creative and it's also strategic, but yeah. we're just moving, constantly moving. Trial and error, right? I mean, yeah. you take that same approach with your own life. My Your life is routine. like that. I love it. Like one of my favorite things about San Francisco is like random, spontaneous, adventurous nights. Mm. That's flow. Like you're like, hey, you want to just hit up a homie? Like you want to meet me at this bar? Cool. Yeah. Let's go. And then you're like, you want to go eat tacos? Cool. Let's go. So you're just in flow. You're going wherever it feels good and what feels right. I think art is like that. I do that with a business. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I change my mind. Yeah. Um, but I try not to do it so often that it's like, you know, you don't want to jerk your team around. Like no, you need yeah. to be, you know, have process. But 
you have to also bring people along that are down with your flow. Yeah. And are down to flow with you and change, you know? Yeah, I fuck with that. Um, <laughs> I fuck with that. Flow, flow is so important. You lose track of time because you're in the zone. Yeah. And you're just allowed, you're in a space that just allows you to be you and you're following your gut, you're trusting yourself, you're allowing space for failure, you're interacting with fear, you're, yep. you know, you're creating and living. And, you know, I think, I think for us, that's, that's the goal is just to find a way to thrive. Yes. And for me, like my business, they say like, don't take it personal. Like, no, how could you not? It's yeah. personal. Like yeah. my business is personal. Like the way that it was born, the way that my family's involved, it's all personal. So like everyone that comes in, I want them to be like family too. Mm. Gina, thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything else you would like to add or talk about? <laughs> I'm like, oh. I was at the end. I'm like, I don't know. No, I feel good. I'm just like, I'm really excited about what's coming up next. And I'm really excited to even be here with y'all and Hell just yeah. like seeing what you're doing and how we're, what people are doing to put our voices out there and document. Yeah. My homegirl who does PR for us, she runs Papa Lowdown Agency. She always says like, everyone has a role in the revolution mm. and everyone plays their part as a PR strategist. It's about getting our work out into the news so mm -hmm. that we can document our history. Yeah. And I think what y'all are doing with video is documenting our stories and documenting them so that we are like, no one can forget. Dang. Like we're forcing people to, to listen to us and no one can say that we weren't here, that we didn't exist. Well, thank you for that. Anyway, we can support you and our community and our culture. You know, we're here. Yes. Um, Gina, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Zoe, this is Gina. Make it Mariko, make it Mariko. <laughs> and, uh, and this is the end of this session. San Francisco, California. Represent, we out. Thank you for tuning in to Meet the Creators. I hope you found value in today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please share with a friend.